We're pleased to have with us again this morning Paul Carey, and we'll ask him to come and complete the service. Good morning. It is a real joy and honor to be with you again this morning, worshiping God together. If you would turn in your Bibles or follow along on the screen behind me, our sermon text uh, scripture reading today is Genesis 11, uh, starting at verse 27 through uh, chapter 12, verse 3. Hear God's word to us today. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The land of Terah, uh, the days of Terah, was 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray once more as we come to think about these verses. God, we praise you and we thank you that you give us your word, that you want us to hear from you, uh, to enter into conversation with you. Lord, you teach us, you correct us, you rebuke us, and you train us for righteousness. May we hear that this morning from you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's an argument to be made that this time of year really should be the start of the new year. You know, this is the time of year where either we're starting new projects or returning to our uh, current things with new and fresh energy. School is starting back up, new projects start at work or enter a new phase, and we're entering into a season marked by a lot of changes. Now, even if you haven't been back to school in quite a while, the end of August, the beginning of September, still seems like a good time to start something new. We finished our summer vacations and we have fresh energy to go back to work and uh, start again at our projects. And a common metaphor when we enter this sort of new phase of life, the start of something new, is that of a journey. We think back to where we've been and where we're going and we use this idea of going on a journey to describe what we're uh, doing. And as I look forward to the year ahead, I know that I'll be going on several journeys. And last time I was here uh, in the evening service, I shared with you about God's call in my life to go to Romania as a missionary. So I'll be literally taking a big journey this year. And you yourself, you may have journeys coming up ahead of you, new changes uh, as a church. We just heard at the beginning of the service a big change starting next week with the sharing of this space with Liberty Northeast. That's an exciting time of new things happening here. And as we take these steps into this journey, we know they'll be filled with ups and downs, different uh, things that will be challenging to us. 
personally as a church, we're all on a journey of sorts. And while it's exciting to start something new and to make these changes, we need to remember where we're going. You know, what's the goal? What's the destination? Where are we hoping to wind up at the end of this journey? Where are we going? The passage today shows us how God gave a very specific and unique call to Abram. Abram may not have been thinking about going on a journey when uh, he settled in the land there. But God had a definite plan and gave Abram a new destination, both where he was to live physically as well as a goal and purpose for his life. With you know, that sort of context of what's going on here, what better place for us to look for guidance as we think about the next step that we'll be taking this year? This passage teaches us several things, but chief among them is this, that God wants us to trust in him completely as he provides and directs us toward blessing. This is a solid truth we need to remember through the trials of a journey, that God wants us to trust in him completely as he provides and directs us toward blessing. Now, that may sound good, but we need to take time and really think through what does that mean? We can break this down into three parts this morning as we consider the story of Abram. First, we'll look at what God has done. What God has done, the story of God's promise uh, to humanity and to Abram. And then we'll look at what God is doing, the story of God keeping this promise. And finally, what God will do, the, the hope that we have, the future hope that we have from God. And these are all summed up for us in the first uh, three verses of Genesis chapter 12. That's sort of where we'll focus on this morning. Let me reread that for us real quick. Genesis 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, when we come to this, that first verse especially, it sounds maybe a bit outlandish. It's a huge request that God is making here. Go from your country, from your family, from your father's house. God is commanding Abraham in this verse to leave everything that he knew. Go from your country, from the environment that you know. Leave behind your favorite shops or restaurants. Leave what you know, what you're comfortable with. Leave your family, your father's household. Leave behind your sense of security, your social status, and the community that you formed. This is a huge ask from God. God is telling Abram to make a huge sacrifice for him. How could he ask such a thing of Abram? To answer that, we need to remember who God is, what God has done. Who is this God that he can say such a thing to Abram? Well, we look back at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis to sort of get an idea of who this God is. And as we do that, we see that God is the creator God, the one who created the world and sustains it. We see humanity sinning against God and God acting justly and mercifully. We read about Cain and Abel and God's relationship with each of them. And we read about Noah, the flood, and God's faithful preserving of life in the face of a really desperately sinful world. We see that God is the perfect creator who rules all things in love and in justice. And God has acted and proven himself in both amazing love and fully just and righteous ways. 
Now, I know for me, it's easy just to focus on one of those two characteristics of God, that either he's fully loving or he's fully just. We sometimes just think of God as being just, and when we do that, we can uh, get a bit confused. You know, if we read this passage from that perspective, uh, we just see God giving another command, telling Abram to do something, saying, you know, go somewhere. But if we only focus on God's love, we'll also get confused by this passage. We know that the Bible does say that God is love, and it's easy then to sort of define for ourselves what that should look like. Maybe we define God's love as God giving us what we want or what we think is best. And if we think of God as loving in this way, we'll see the promises and the blessings of this passage and we'll be thrilled. It sounds great. But what about verse 1? What do we do with this? What do we see when we come to this, though, and look at how God is both just and loving in this text? Well, think back about how the Bible has already described God. You know, the Bible introduces God at the very beginning in Genesis 1-1 with the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is the one who was before all things and the one who created all things. God is above all things. And this is a pretty outstanding statement. It's far outside of what we can understand easily. Now, I can't fully imagine what that would be like, even though I know that I try to imagine what it's like to be God. God is the one who created all things looked at what he had made, and declared it good. Genesis 1 shows us how God gives shape to what is good and what is right. He made the world to be a perfect paradise. He made all things to work together and to reflect the greatness of his goodness and his perfection. And God made man in that way. God made man to reflect his nature, to live out the perfect love and greatness of God. And God gave humanity structure, great freedom, as well as safe boundaries. The whole world was given for man's enjoyment, except for one tree. The whole world was given for man to take delight in. And there was the safeguard of don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not for you yet. But as we know, man sinned against God and ate the fruit of that forbidden tree. Temptation and testing came, and the first humans, Adam and Eve, wanted to be God themselves, wanted to define for themselves what was good and evil. And they sinned against God. Yet when they sinned, God did not immediately give them the justice they deserved. God had told them, on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Instead, God loved his creation and acted in mercy. As the holy and just God, God had promised this punishment of death, that sin must be punished. Yet God makes another promise And he promises them to work out a plan to bring forgiveness and grace. His justice is still real. It's still coming. But in mercy, he postpones it with this promise to send a redeemer. And that's what God has done. God promised forgiveness, showed mercy, and made it known that justice would be executed, sin would be punished, but in such a way that God's love would be shown through mercy. This is the God who is giving this command to Abram, the God who chose to remain in relationship with humanity, a friendship with his creation despite their rebellion. When God speaks to Abram here in Genesis 12, he is continuing this relationship with humanity, this plan to bring redemption. He comes as the creator God who wants to provide salvation and redemption for his people. This is the context behind God's call to Abram to go. 
this is the context behind God's call on all of our lives. Have you ever stopped to think about that? You know, that God's love and justice applies to you and me just as much as it applied to Adam and Eve, to Abram and to Sarai. You know, just as God invites Abram here into a close friendship, wanting Abram to trust in his provision, so God calls each of us to have a close relationship with him. We are to trust, to have faith. And that includes our future hope in this promise, the restoration, a perfect relationship with God. And it also includes our day-to-day lives. God's call on our lives may not be to uproot our families and move around the world, although that may be part of it. God's call for each of us is that same call to leave behind our securities and identity that the world offers us. We're to stop trusting in our bank accounts or sense of self-worth or even our families, but to give all to God and trust in him with everything. Instead, we are to trust God alone in all aspects of our life. And that's not easy. I don't think it was easy for Abram. You know, knowing what God has done, these great promises of God, does give us a sense of assurance that we can trust God. We know the context of Genesis 1 uh, through 11, just as Abram would have known it. But they would have been stories for Abram, just as they are stories for us. Memories, things that he would have heard his grandparents or great-grandparents talking about. Abram had yet to take a step of faith and trust in this for himself. For Abram to listen to this command of God to go took a great step of faith. For us to respond to God's call in our lives, to trust him with everything, takes a great step of faith. And that's what the writer of the letter of the Hebrews in the New Testament pulls out of this text. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read this great list of men and women who lived by faith. We read about how God relates to humanity through calling them to live by faith, to trust him. And God uh, tells us what faith is in uh, the first verse of that chapter. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then when the author continues describing these different instances of men and women living by faith, he describes God's call to Abraham with these words. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram lived by faith and God's promise to provide. He took this step of faith to trust God with his income, to trust God with his ability to provide for himself and his ability to provide for his family. He trusted God with his identity, with everything. Abram trusted God both for his day-to-day needs as well as that ultimate end, that need for forgiveness and restoration to God. As we think about where we're going, about the changes in the year ahead of us, we need to stop and ask, are we living by faith? What are the things that we're hoping in? Where do we find our security and identity? What assurances do we have in our future? Are these things rooted in the promises and examples of God's justice and mercy? Are we remembering what God has done and living by faith? What God has done is make these extravagant promises. What God, uh, but what is the promise of God? You know, we, we talked a little bit about it. What is Abraham told he'll get out of this relationship with God? What exactly did God do in Genesis 12, 1 to 3? That takes us to our second point this morning, what God is doing. 
What God does in this passage is really impressive. The majority of what God has to say is a large, sweeping promise to Abraham, or to Abram. Verse 2 highlights this, where we read, I will bless, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Throughout this passage, God is promising greatness and blessing. But it's easy for us to miss that. And even in the cultural context of Abram, he, he would have been maybe a bit confused. Because you, you know, would understand that a large family and a stable nation were signs of the good life, were signs of blessing, of greatness. And it sounds like God is calling him to leave that stuff behind. Abram was to leave the security and community that he had in Haran. Even though Abram wasn't originally from Haran, it was a place he knew and had started to settle in. You know, maybe business was really good there. Life was easy. Things seemed stable. And then God tells Abram that he, that God, will give to Abram true greatness true blessing if he leaves he gives up what seems to be the way to get true to the way to get blessing this goes against expectations so my first question wrestling through this when i was reading is what then does it mean to be blessed what exactly does it mean to be made great or to become a blessing seems like god is saying to leave behind the way we would achieve that how does god then define blessing and goodness and greatness at one level, I think God is telling Abram that the plan is for his descendants to become a great nation, a stable nation, something that a nation that will lead the world. His cultural desire for a large family and for stability weren't bad things. They just wouldn't, shouldn't be ultimate things. God is promising him a great nation, the, the happiness and the joy that comes from that stability and that family. And as we follow this promise through the Bible, we see that God did indeed develop Abram's descendants into the nation of Israel that had their glory days in the reign of King Solomon. And while the nation of Israel didn't last and they eventually were taken uh, off into exile because of their sin, the promise of a great nation didn't come to an end. God's promises don't fail. In the New Testament, we see that the promise of a great nation becomes the promise of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God something that Jesus taught all the time about. God promises Abram that there will come a kingdom where God's perfect creation will be restored, a great nation that will lead the world, and that's the kingdom of God. This kingdom will come through God's relationship with man, through Abram. But what then does it mean, uh, what does God mean by the idea of blessing? What is God promising when he tells Abram that he'll bless him? The word blessing is really a religious term. You know, we use it in the church all the time. We uh, are familiar sort of vaguely with what it might mean. And as I start off to think about it, I was like, do I know what the word blessing means? I looked it up, and uh, I think most of us have a vague notion that blessing means being good or doing good or having good things. So what then is the goodness that God is promising here? What is God's goodness? Well, God's goodness, his blessing is really the whole point of the entire Bible. What's the good thing that God is working towards? What, what is God's goal? It's the return of that perfect relationship between God and his creation, between God and man. When we read about creation in Genesis 1 and 2, we are seeing what God's perfect world was like. God and man working together, speaking with one another. And throughout the Old Testament, when God comes to man, 
He comes with this goal of restoring that perfect relationship, of communicating with him. God's blessing is his presence, the ability for humanity, for you and me, to be with God. And God fulfills this promise to bring blessing and greatness through Abram and through his descendants. What Abram was promised here finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, Jesus being the ultimate descendant of Abram. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God keeps his promise, this promise of blessing and greatness. We're told throughout Scripture that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, the perfect demonstration of God's love and justice. Jesus is the Son of Man, the descendant of Abram, who lived a perfect life in perfect relationship with God and then died the death of a sinner. Jesus took the punishment that our sins deserved, took that delayed justice of God, and Jesus suffered the justice that sin uh, deserves, all the sin of all the world, from Abram, from Adam to Abram to you and to me. And Jesus did more than just take away the guilt of sin. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the curse of death, the separation of us from God. And Jesus gives us his resurrection, his new life, life with him, life with the Father. The blessing that comes through Jesus is union, communion, restored relationship with the triune God. This is what God is doing in this passage, promising this blessing. His promise here is the greatness of his kingdom, the blessing of his presence, his abiding with us, his being with us. A promise that he made to Abram, a promise that he makes to you and to me. Think about what that means for you. You know, with the changes of the new school year ahead, the return to work, the start of a new season, where do you see God's promises? Where do you see God's promises coming up in your life? Where do you see his presence, the opportunity to be with God and for God to be with you in these changes? You know, following him in this and seeing where he is may not be easy, may not initially be enjoyable. In fact, it, it means leaving behind what is comfortable, what we're comfortable with, what gives us a sense of security. But he is making this promise to you that he will be with you that he will provide security and stability, that he will walk with you through whatever changes need to take place. He has already borne the worst thing that could happen, the justice of God falling on you. Are you going to receive this, God, this gift of God's blessing, his presence in your life? When God comes into our lives, though, we might start to ask, you know, what will he do? What will he ask of us? In Genesis 12, verse 3, the final verse in this call of Abraham begins to answer that. It begins to help us look at what God will do. Our final point today, what God will do. Remember God's goal, the destination. What God will do is fulfill that promise. What God will do is be with us, walk alongside us. We've already spoken a bit about how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abram. Jesus is that perfect blessing, the provision for the real spiritual needs of all humanity. And we start to see this in the context, uh, in greater context, in verse 3, where we read, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here we see that God's goal is having a close personal relationship with Abram, sharing both in the joys of Abram's life as well as feeling the pain of curses. 
God promises that he will not only provide for Abram in these areas, but will provide over and above what Abram needs so that others will be able to see the benefits and the blessing of being with God. God promises to work closely with Abram and his family in such a way that the whole of creation, all the families of the earth, would see it and want to join in. We see that God's goal is having a close personal relationship with each of us so that his glory, the goodness of being in his presence, would be made known to the whole world. God's goal was to bless the world through Abram as Abram trusted, obeyed, and enjoyed God's blessing. This meant that Abram had access to God, was invited into God's presence, able to talk with him, to pray, to listen, and hear from God. Abram could meet with God in worship, could have a close relationship with his creator. And through this relationship, the world would see the blessing of God, the blessing of a relationship with God that uh, Abram modeled was a blessing of goodness and greatness. But Abram's model of this wasn't perfect. You know, we read about this and we see what God is doing in Abram's life, but then we read about the rest of Abram's life and we, we don't see Abram living up to this uh, standard at all. In Genesis 12, Abram took this great step of faith following God's call to leave his country, to trust in God. But then as we continue looking at his life, we see areas where it was a real struggle for him. In the next few chapters, you can read about times when he didn't trust God, when he took providing for himself into his own hands. He tried to take his wife's infertility into his own hands, and he tried to protect his own wealth by lying and uh, uh, leading people astray so that he could make sure that he was stable and secure. Yet God kept his promise. There were rebukes, Abram needed to be called back to trust God, but God continued to build his relationship with Abram, even though there was sin, even though there was these uh, backslidings and these lack, this lack of belief and faith. What God will do for Abram in this passage is be present in his life, even when Abram fails. What God will do is work through Abram and his family, though they are an imperfect witness to the world. Ultimately, the promise of God, of what God will do for Abram, is send a perfect son who will obey uh, fully and faithfully. What God will do is save the world through Jesus, the descendant of Abram. What God will do for us is accept the sacrifice of that perfect son for our sins. You know, Abram didn't do anything to get this relationship with God. He didn't deserve God's promise. Instead, God came, made the promise, and then called Abraham to believe and to follow. And likewise, we can do nothing in order to earn God's favor or friendship. We too have already been freely forgiven through the work of Jesus on the cross. And what God calls us to do is repent and believe, to hear the promises of God and walk in them. God wants us to trust in him completely as he is the one who provides and directs us toward true blessing true greatness. So what God will do is be present with us. He assures us of his presence that we too can come to him in prayer. We meet with God in worship. We read his word, the Bible. We can hear from God through this. God speaks with us through these ordinary means of grace, through prayer, through scripture reading, through gathering as a church, reassuring us of his love and showing us what it looks like to respond in him in love. 
For Abram, this meant leaving his homeland and trusting in God's provision. God calls us to step out in faith, to leave our comfort zones, our self-generated security. You know, we may not be called to physically relocate, but God does call each of us to trust in him as we make decisions, every decision that impacts our life. Decisions about things that uh, address our security, our identity. And trusting these things to God will bring greater reliance and greater joy, even though it's scary in the moment. And that will be noticeable to your neighbors, to the people in your neighborhood, to the city, to the nation, and to the world. God's desire is that all the families of the earth, every tribe, language, people group, will know his blessing to you and through you. What God will do is bring us into the blessing of his kingdom, which he has already begun. So what will it look like for you to live by faith? What is God calling you to do as you see his love and care and promise to you? These are big questions, and answering them will take time, will take meeting with God and asking that and listening. And it might be painful because it will involve repentance. But it's worth it. It's worth it. The blessing is true. His presence is real. Even in times of pain and learning to follow God in faith, you will have God with you, the Holy Spirit walking alongside you. And we can remember what God has done, how he has been with us. We can pay attention to what God is doing and look to see how he is answering our prayers, how he is providing for us now. And know and remember the hope of what God will do, bringing us into his kingdom, into his heavenly home. We have the promise of God's love, the assurance that he has already forgiven us in Christ, and the hope of the resurrection. Let us walk in faith as we enter this new season of life. Let's pray. God, we praise you and thank you for your rich blessing and kindness. Thank you for your kind promises. You are with us and you have given us your word to read and you hear our prayers as we speak to you even now. Thank you, God. Thank you that we can come before you. Help us, God, to understand your word, to apply it to our lives. Help us to live by faith, to think through our lives and how you are calling us to live. May we give to you all of our security, all of our identities, and find it in you instead of the things of this world. May we come to you and learn what living out our faith will look like. Teach us through the examples of Scripture, through the example of Jesus, and help us to love the world the way that you love the world. May we turn from our sin and rebellion, the brokenness and pain that we have, and help us instead to speak your truth and love. May we speak your truth and love and love our neighbors. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.